Good oral health is about more than just brushing and flossing your teeth. Dental disease is 100% preventable and it starts at home with you. Yep, you heard me right. Cavities are a disease and not something our children should just get. Your mouth is a window into your body and it has an effect on your speech, breathing, chewing, heart health, so much more. And we're not listening to it. Come along with me on this journey and I'll give you a whole new perspective of the importance of taking care of your mouth and the long-term effects it has not only on your oral health, but also your overall systemic health. On this podcast, we'll bring you a mixture of professionals, experts in the field that will give you advice and action steps you can take with your kids in different situations. We're also going to have moms, dads, caregivers, just like you, having the same struggles that you are because together we can make a difference and help keep our kids healthy because a healthy mouth is a healthy body and a healthy life. And it all starts with you. Welcome back to the Healthy Mouth Movement Podcast. Today, we're interviewing Dr. David Shirazi. He is the clinical director of the TMJ Sleep and Therapy Center in Canijo Valley and Los Angeles, California. He is board certified in craniofacial pain, and he coordinates care with his patients to improve their state of health and well-being. It is amazing how all of this is connected and how your mouth really makes a difference to the rest of your body. He treats temporomandibular joint and muscle disorders, which is TMJD, and it's a complex set of conditions that cause pain in the jaw and surrounding muscles or problems using the jaw. This condition affects somebody's ability to speak, chew, eat, swallow, breathe, and even make facial expressions. If left untreated, it affects other parts of the head, neck, and face, and you may even have some pain. So he treats headaches, sleep apnea, and other conditions. His treatments might include a combination of sleep appliances, oriental medicine, naturopathic guidances, and many other solutions. Dr. Shrazi, thank you for being with us today. And I'm so excited to talk a little bit more about sleep apnea, especially with what's going on in the world today and wearing masks. 90% of patients in the U.S. are unaware that they have sleep apnea or sleep disordered breathing. So let's talk a little bit about that and what they could look for what you recommend patients doing. First of all, how do they how are, do they become aware that they have it? And then what do you recommend the treatment would be? Right. So wonderful questions and thoughts to start off. And, and hi, thank you for having me on your great show. So to put it succinctly, 90% of those that have snoring and sleep apnea, sleep disordered breathing, don't know that they have it yet. Right. And it's actually very interesting of how they go about. So the bottom line is if you want to know if you have it or not, is to do a sleep study. Whether you do it in a lab or in home, there is no substitute for an in-lab or, or in-home sleep study. An X-ray of your airways is not diagnostic of sleep apnea. It doesn't tell you how many episodes you have. So the testing is number one. Now, the part that's kind of challenging is because we're unconscious, when we sleep, we don't know when we're snoring and, and choking in our sleep. We just don't know. Especially kids don't know any different from anybody. You know, they're just like, oh, this is how it is. And they just get on with their with their lives. And and being someone who's an expert in sleep disorder breathing and oral facial pain, the pain would they they overlap, right? The children with pain, you know, we'll do our exam, we'll do our palpation, and we'll go over the range of motion. And I'll be like, so you get about your head hurts about every day, most of the time. And they'll go, yeah, right? And the mom's eyes are like big, like, what? What? You didn't tell me. You didn't tell me. And it's like, they don't, you know, a lot of them don't complain. They just think like, that's just the way it is. 
right? And so they just deal, they just cope. So what's interesting is in children, one of the greatest hallmarks of sleep apnea is ADD and ADHD, right? And the literature is so robust in this subject. I mean, well over 2,000 studies have been done on children with ADD, ADHD, and sleep apnea, and they've seen resolution and great improvement in their ADD and their ADHD with the proper treatment of their sleep apnea, right? So conventional treatment in kids is tonsillitis removal, CPAP, and what we call functional orthodontics, right? The difference is with functional orthodontics, it's the only treatment I know of that can literally cure sleep apnea, meaning developing the palate, naturally bringing the jaw downward and forward can literally cure sleep apnea in a growing child. I, I don't say that lightly because we can't say cure very often, no. right? And we can't cure it in adults with functional orthodontics, the majority of that, let's say half the time. The only thing we say that can cure it in adults is a pretty radical surgery. You know, we call MMA surgery. We break the jaw, pull it here, break the jaw, pull it here. And even then, I haven't seen long-term follow-up studies on. So 10 years can pass. Patients can put on weight. They can. I've seen patients that have had the surgery and their sleep apnea came back. So I've, I've seen that. And of course, it can even happen in children too. You can cure it and then they can have life changes 20 years later and then get sleep apnea again. Right. So with children and adults, I think the probably the fastest hallmark is to look at their symptoms. Right. So ADD, ADHD, as I mentioned, behavioral challenges, mood disorders, sugar rises and spikes. These can be potentially attributed to sleep apnea. And again, you find out by asking for and taking a sleep study. In adults, we see it as more type 2 hyperdiabetes, hypertension. Uh, histories of myocardial infarction, you know, heart attack and stroke, periodontal disease, as you know, the number one cause of clenching our teeth is a form of sleep apnea called upper airway resistance syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, it, those are a better sign than just snoring and sleep apnea. So roughly 70% of those that have snoring have sleep apnea. So it's not a hundred percent. It's almost three quarters. But what we do know is that the disease does progress over time. So what'll happen is they'll, someone that just has snoring when they're in their 20s, if we follow up with them 10 years or 20 years later, they will have mild or moderate sleep apnea. And the same person that now has mild or moderate sleep apnea at age 20, if we follow up with them 20 years later, then they, we often find they have severe sleep apnea. So the majority of the time it gets worse with age. Mm -hmm. So, and let's say that we went 20 years before they were mm -hmm. 20s, when they were younger and they were, their mother was making a decision of whether or not to breastfeed or bottle feed. So yeah. we know that breastfeeding is better. So let's talk a little bit about that. But what Absolutely. happens if a woman cannot breastfeed? What do we do then? So let's kind of talk yeah. about So that. I definitely wanted to like support that thought process that breastfeeding is an ideal scenario. And when we look at skulls prior to the Industrial Revolution, we see wide palates, the ability to breathe profoundly through the nose, smaller maxillary sinuses, straight teeth. Yes. I'm going to point that out. There was no orthodontist yet, right? Straight teeth and that much space, about a quarter of an inch behind each wisdom tooth. Right. So not only did they not have to worry about their wisdom teeth not having enough room, 
they literally had space behind their teeth for another wisdom tooth. That's how much space they had. And we know indigenous cultures would breastfeed for three to five years. After their teeth came in, they would have them chew food. Like, and of course, nothing is processed, right? right? So they would just chew food and that would develop their jaw their vertical dimension by using the, those activating those muscles, right? Mm-hmm. So to come back to your question of what, what can the moms do when they can't breastfeed? Because that is a modern day problem. That's a common problem is they actually have tools. Like we gave, even though my wife breastfed for nearly two years, we still had to do it, which was they have these devices. That, it looks like a, a silicone Y with mm-hmm. a stick and you have the patient bite down on it and chew on it. And even sometimes pull on it. A myomunchie. I mean, it's like a it, well, it's like a myomunchie, yeah, yeah. But it's a specific one. It's not an appliance because most myomunchies are appliances that go inside the mouth. Uh-huh. This is like a stick that looks like a Y, okay. right? And they bite on that, and that helps with their activating their their muscles of mastication. They do have what's called the baby alf, which helps in the development of the arch. Um, and they do have baby myomunchies that are that are there to help. Because even babies clench their teeth. You can have something in it and they have like a little attachment outside their mouth so that if mom or dad needs to like take it out, they can take it out. There, there are like things that they can do. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, how do they know what to look for? Because, you know, sometimes we look for tongue ties in yes. myofunctional therapy. And a lot yes. of times if they're not having a problem latching or they can stick their tongue out, we don't look into that. But as they get older, you can have a posterior tongue tie that keeps your posture low. So your tongue Mm -hmm. is not on the roof of your mouth and that can affect your breathing and the growth and development of their arch, which changes your Mm -hmm. facial structure and how your face looks. It does. Absolutely. What do parents look for? So the tongue tie is usually when it's in the anterior is, is very obvious, right? You can actually see a tight band and the child has a hard time lifting their tongue up into the roof of their mouth. And sometimes the more severe cases, when they stick out their tongue, their tongue becomes like a heart shape, like an upside down heart shape. That is something we treat here. We use lasers to help release that. And I do encourage that my son needed it right from birth so that he could breastfeed. Yeah. And later on, we we sometimes need to do it just to help with speech development. Yes. And sleep disordered breathing as well. So yeah, it helps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have you noticed that your patients, maybe that are younger and having problems, do they have problems with bedwetting or walking on their tiptoes or anything like that? For sure. All, all of the, well, I, I haven't seen the walking on the tiptoes part. But yeah, so it's actually been established in literature over 70 years that bedwetting is associated with poor nasal breathing and that expanding the palate improves it, right? And by the way, I was that kid. I had ADD, I had hyperactivity, I had bedwetting. My mom is a dentist, my dad was a pharmacist. We just, this is 40 years ago. We didn't know, right? We didn't know back then. So we do know now, and there's there's no need to to let it carry on. Functional orthodontics is a wonderful and miraculous way to treat sleep disordered breathing in the growing child. And not all orthodontists do functional orthodontists. Is that Almost correct? none of them do it. I just uh-huh. want to be clear. Yeah. Almost none of them. Yeah. Like one percent. It's a very low number. It's very embarrassing. Yeah. I've yeah. never I've never seen this before in my life. As we mentioned before uh, we got on the podcast, 
you know, I'm also an oriental medical doctor. I'm an acupuncturist. I have a master's in psychology. I was a sleep technologist for five years. I have my own sleep lab. I have a lot of interest outside of dentistry that I love. I have never in my life seen a medical specialty be so recalcitrant to change as I have in the orthodontic community. I don't understand it. Yeah. So how do parents find a functional orthodontist? Well, that's a really good question. So you're going to have to do your research. You're going to have to do your Google searches and your DuckDuckGo searches. One of the appliances that I've been using for 20 years is called the ALF, A-L-F, you know, the Advanced Light Wire Functional. And you can like type in ALF orthodontic uh, directory, right? And look up and try to find someone uh, near you, right? There aren't that many of us, I admit. I admit, I think in the world, there's maybe a thousand. So we're, we're sort of scarce. But the ALF appliance doesn't take up much oral volume. It's very, very tiny. And it's the first myofunctional appliance. Yes. And it's effective. So that's why it's important to look up a specialist that works with ELF because you can use the growth potential of your child when they're younger. So then hopefully potentially in the future, they won't need MMA surgery because of a mouth and palate or mouth breathing or something like that. Correct? That's right. That's correct. But I just want you to know, I mean, I do palatal expansion and ELF therapy on adults all the time. Right. And I'm not unique in that. The <laughs> the sutures develop, you know, you could still expand when you're older. It doesn't have the same profound effect like uh, it does in children. And you can't expand as much as you can as in a growing child. But it's still the effects are profound. Yeah. And if you can catch it when the children are younger, they will breathe better as well as they grow. And you can kind of expand their palate without having to do the MMA surgery is kind of where I was getting. You can do it as an adult, yes. but as That's a right. parent, if you look at that in your child and you, you, you find that earlier, you can kind of prevent that from happening in the future. Yeah. So they don't grow up needing. And, and on a side note, so when I went into dental school, I wanted to be an oral surgeon. I love surgery. I love helping people. When I came out, I was doing a lot of wisdom teeth and, and flaps. And when I was a freshman and I bought my own scalpel, I came in with a number 15 scalpel and I was lucky to have five girls with my cadaver and they let me do like almost all the dissection. It was great. (laughs) And I asked the teachers, they would show like, you know, a lateral ceph of someone that had jaw surgery. And I would say, okay, so how does the patient function with all those bolts in their jaws? And they would say, we don't know. I go, well, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, well, these people don't have a lot of options, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, we're just throwing the book at him. We don't know. This is, of course, 20 plus, or 25 mm-hmm. years ago, literally 25 years ago. And, and I was very turned off by that because I was so naive. I thought I can't be an oral surgeon and say, yeah, but I don't do that surgery. You know what I mean? And, and I used to joke and say a root canal specialist doesn't say, I can't do that root canal, it's too hard. Right. But they actually do all the time. They'll they'll say the tooth is unsavable (laughs) and just take it out. Now, with with the surgery, when I was taking orthodontic classes coming out of school, I was doing about 200 hours of CE a year. We watched a surgery, like a video of a surgery. Right. And I am not squeamish. Obviously, I, I have no fears and issues with surgery. I had to walk out of the room because I thought the surgery was so savage 
that I, I couldn't take it. I just walked out of the room, just shaking my head, like, for God's sakes, there's got to be a better way than that. <laughs> yes, it is kind of scary. So it is an option. So it's not it's like the option. greatest option in the world. <laughs> I just want to point that out. But if you can't breathe and you're having- You have alternatives. You have alternatives. Yeah, you do have alternatives. So let's talk about sleep disordered breathing. So if you have sleep disordered breathing, a lot of times you are grinding and you are snoring. That's a symptom of Mm -hmm. that. So why do we snore? So it could be many reasons. So the most obvious reason can be just poor nasal passages, right? Whether it's your nasal valves, your turbinates, your posterior adenoidal space, you're just not getting the airflow through your nose. So what happens? You open your mouth to breathe. Mm -hmm. And when we open our mouth, the first few millimeters of opening, our jaw swivels, right? And the jaw actually comes back, right? And the tongue comes with it. So we end up mouth breathing like, like that, which is very similar to the same exact mechanism as sleep apnea. We also say that improper neuromuscular tone will lead to a blockage in the airway. So, so just like we, t- so basically what myofunctional therapy is doing, for example, is it's toning up the tongue and upper pharyngeal muscles to help combat this neuromuscular tone deficit that patients have. And what about patients that snore even though their lips are closed? Yeah, that's usually with the uh, soft palate, right? They're rubbing their tongue up against the soft palate or their soft palate up against the back of their throat. They just don't have enough oral volume. And so remember, when our teeth are closed, when our lips are closed, whatever space you have in your mouth, that's it for the tongue, Mm -hmm. right? So, and the tongue is not going to come forward because you got these hard teeth, (laughs) not letting it come up. It only has but one direction. So what ends up happening is they make a different kind of snoring sound like this, like that, where it's just the soft palate is rubbing up against the back of the throat and sometimes the tongue. And what's the treatment for that? It depends. It depends. It could be mandibular advancement if if they have what's called a skeletal class two, like an overbite. I do a laser therapy in my office called Night Lace that tightens up the throat muscles and the soft tissue in the soft palate and uvula. It converts it to what we call less collapsible. Okay. And then so snoring problem. So grinding, let's talk a little bit about grinding and appliances. Mm -hmm. So when you have a night guard, let's say, that's Mm -hmm. kind of treating the symptoms for grinding. What do you recommend? Is there a better option? How do you feel about night guards and where's their place in helping with grinding? It's a really good question. So right off the bat, I should say, we have a number of studies, just well, a few that say that Patients that have sleep apnea and clench their teeth, when they're given a night guard, roughly 50% of them clench harder and their apnea gets worse with the night guard in place. So the purpose of the night guard is to protect the teeth and the dentistry that were done. And if the patient doesn't have sleep apnea, then it is a very sound and safe treatment modality, right? right? Now, if they do have sleep apnea, then they should have what we call an FDA-approved oral appliance therapy that will open up their airway as well as control the clenching. Like that would be the ideal scenario. And because so many people that have had sleep apnea and that have clenched for a long period of time, they end up having a TMJ problem from the clenching. Mm -hmm. So then the appliance needs to be fabricated in such a way so as to really not just help with the sleep apnea and the clenching, 
but to take care not to overly stretch the jaw when trying to open up the airway. So we, you know, most of the people I know that do this as a specialty, do this as a dedicated practice, they were TMJ experts before they were sleep experts. So when this whole methodology of treating sleep apnea in adults with an oral appliance came in, well, we knew exactly what to do and what not to do, particularly, more importantly, what not to do. And we actually are seeing a lot of dentists who, you know, they never really wanted to work on the TMJ patient. They thought they were all crazy. Mm-hmm. It was too complex. They didn't want, they, they thought it had to do with the bite. It really doesn't have much to do with the bite at all. So uh, they would they would just refer them out. But then they thought, oh, okay, well, it's sleep apnea appliance. I can make those. I'll just take a weekend course and start pulling the jaw forward, right? Mm-hmm. And what, you know, and sometimes they were successful. And other times they found that in doing so, they took their existing TMJ problem and exasperated it, right? So personally, I mean, I know I'm biased because I'm both a TMJ and sleep expert. If I was going to have a sleep apnea appliance fabricated, I would most definitely, without any hesitation, want someone that's also a TMJ expert so that they know what to do and what not to do. Yeah. But so that, does that make sense? That answer it does. So if you're a patient, like you're listening mm-hmm. to this podcast and you're thinking, I have that, how do I know? What question do I ask when I call to make the appointment mm-hmm. um, for a dentist that would specialize in that? What questions would they ask? So it really, so it really depends. So first you want to go to your own dentist and you want to ask the dentist, okay, so because a lot of dentists say, oh yeah, I make night guards. It's like, well, okay. So I think my problem is more than just clenching. I've had it for a really long time, if that's the case. And I want to work with someone. That's all they do. Okay. And knock on wood, they'll have someone you know, nearby. There aren't too many of us either, by the way, that just focus on pain and sleep, right? But hopefully he or she will know someone and refer you out. But the main thing that you want to say is, listen, I really want someone that is an expert in both TMJ and sleep disorders. So, you know, that's a dentist Mm -hmm. so that I can have this made in the most professional way possible, right? Someone that just does this day in and day out, right? And there are, I mean, there's probably at least a thousand of us in the U.S. like that. Yes. And that's a good point because it is is hard to find. And there are Mm -hmm. people that just aren't aware that there is something going on, that you can have mouth breathing and that your grinding or your snoring is connected to sleep. That's and right. other issues. So that's right. there are questions that you do need to ask, but you don't know what you don't know. So that's exactly. Why, that's, that's the why. problem, isn't it? That's that's the rub. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. So the more that we can talk to professionals like you and get the word out there and create awareness for people of what questions to ask and where to go and how they can take action, because I am a huge advocate of being your own healthcare advocate and asking questions. Me too. Me too. You know, because knowledge is power. And I think that these days, especially with what I've experienced this past year is healthcare is more about protocols than Mm -hmm. actually listening to what's going on with the patient and getting them the help that they need. So a lot of times this year, I've just been told, well, that's normal. Or, you know, you're just going to have to live with that. That's going to be your new normal. And I am not accepting that. So bye. By sharing this and talking to other professionals like you, I'm hoping that people know that, hey, this probably isn't normal. If you're not resonating with what that doctor is saying, get a second opinion, ask questions, 
And so that's why I appreciate doctors like you coming on and sharing your knowledge with us and putting it in layman's terms so people understand and know what questions to ask and what I sure hope I did. You did. You did. (laughs) I sure hope I did. Well, if they want more information, they can Google or I'm sorry, go to YouTube and search Dr. Shirazi, TMJ, things like that, and sleep apnea. I did a one-hour Google talk where I kind of go over this in both children and adults. Great. Um, we have like 30 testimonial videos or what have you. But my own website's tmjla.com, like LA for Los Angeles, that we have a lot of information out there for you guys to, to read and to learn about. If you want to find someone in your area, the very best thing you can do is go to a website called tmjtherapycenter.com and center is spelled C-E-N-T-R-E, like the British way, right? And just click on, you know, find a doctor. And we have like, I don't know, 65, 70 centers throughout the world. Yes. And these are very like-minded people. A little bit broader scope is you could go to the American Academy of Craniofacial Pains website and look them up and find out, try to find someone near you. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your expertise and knowledge. And I look forward to talking to you again. You have so much information. We probably could talk a little bit more, but I'd be happy to come on again. On a, I'd be happy to come on again with a new subject if you like more details. I would love that. Thank you Wonderful. very much. And I look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's such, such my pleasure. Thank you. So TMJ joint and muscle disorders are a complex set of conditions that happen in patients' mouth. You can have jaw pain, joint pain surrounding the muscles of your mouth and jaw, and it can affect someone's ability to speak, chew, eat, swallow, breathe, and even make facial expressions. If left untreated, you can have a lot of pain, headaches, neck aches, and even trouble sleeping. And when we don't sleep well, we know that we have a hard time functioning. So I hope this was helpful. If you found it helpful and you know someone that's experienced this, please share this information with them. And Dr. Shrazi gave you great people that you can look up. TMJ sleep and therapy centers are all over the United States. You can pop in your city and you can also look up doctors that specialize in both because there are places for night guards, but if you're having sleep disordered breathing and sleep apnea, you may need something a little bit more, or you may have problems with your tonsils and adenoids. So you can see that your mouth and your nose are directly related to your health and your growth and development. And it's something that we are bringing awareness to, something that you can look forward to for your kids to create prevention, or something that you can get treated if you are having issues, or even sleep apnea. And he talked about sleep studies. And sometimes a sleep study will tell you that nothing is wrong, but you're still having issues. So you might want to speak to a dentist that specializes in both. So thanks again for watching, because a healthy mouth is a healthy body and a happy, healthy life. Have a great day. Till next time. Thank you for listening today. If something you heard made you smile, made you think, empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure you share this with a friend. Write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook page, Dental Hygiene 411, or hit the link in the show notes to join a conversation. Until next time, breathe through your nose and share a smile. After all, they're contagious.